Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky finishes up our series, Puzzle Piece Jesus. We look at Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, and how Jesus brings a divisive message. We see that the message of Jesus is good news, but sometimes it's hard to hear. In this passage, Jesus talks about wanting control over our lives. Matt challenges us to recognize anything in our lives that's more important than Jesus. We hope you guys enjoy this message. What's up, guys? Good evening. Good night. Happy Sunday. Thank you. It's so good to see you guys. I love you guys, man. It's so good to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Uh, No, it really is so good to see you. I'm always excited about being together Sunday night, worshiping together. Uh, If you're new here first time, don't remember me, as is the case sometimes. My name's Matt, uh, and uh, we just love having you here. Our heartbeat and our prayer is that you would know that you belong here, that you're loved here. No matter what you believe, no matter where you're at on the journey, no matter what baggage you walk through the door with tonight, you belong here. You loved here because God loves you, and we believe that. And we're excited you're here. Over the past uh, four weeks now, we've been in this series that we're calling Puzzle Piece Jesus. The idea being, thank you, Brooke, I think that was you, thank you. Uh, The idea being that in our minds, we have a portrait of Jesus that we've been constructing ever since we were young. Um, Because if, if you're I mean, there, there are places in the world where the name of Jesus has never even been heard, but more than likely everyone in this room has heard the name of Jesus growing up. So you've been building your portrait. You've been building your idea of who Jesus is. But the reality is there are some, some things about Jesus, some teachings about Jesus that are a little harder or more challenging than others. And because of that, maybe the church doesn't really go there, doesn't teach on those things, or maybe you didn't hear about it. And so there are blank pieces in your puzzle, and you don't really know how to fill them in, and so some of us don't, or some of us kind of hear things about Jesus in culture or from our families or whatever, and we just kind of plug them in that way. The idea of this series has really been to look at some of these trickier, more difficult passages that Jesus teaches, look at these things, look at what Jesus says about himself or about, or about whatever, and, and let him speak into those missing pieces. And tonight, we're continuing that series. It's actually the last week of this series. Thank you, guys. Now, that made me feel good. I know you guys just threw me a bone there. You didn't really mean that. Uh, some of your alls, alls kind of rose at the end, which, which means excitement, not sadness. Like, aw? Like, oh, really? What's next? Uh, but I appreciate that. Thank you, man. I needed that. Um, tonight is our last week in this series, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. In the whole series, to me, this is probably the most challenging passage of Scripture to teach on. Uh, Certainly in this series, and I think really in in the New Testament, as we look at Jesus and who he is and what he says, this is just a, it's a difficult passage of Scripture. It's hard to understand. It's, it, it just seems so different than how we see Jesus speak at other places. And that's why we're going there, man. We're diving in tonight. So are you guys ready? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Well, the first thing I want to do before we get there is talk about my family. Are you guys ready for a dose of cuteness overload? Yeah. Okay. Can I show you guys a picture of me and my oldest son this summer? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Let's put this picture up. <laughs> oh, I just love him so much, I get nauseous. You guys ever love someone so much, you just feel like you're going to throw up? It sounds creepy, I know, but that's where I'm at. It applies to family. Don't apply that to dating relationships, trust me, okay? It gets weird. (laughs) Babe, I just love you so much, I want to vomit. (laughs) 
Okay, bye. <laughs> no, this is my, this is, uh, this past summer, this past summer, Trent and I, we, we hiked to a waterfall together out in Colorado, and we got to the top. He was, like, fascinated with a waterfall. He'd never seen something like that before. But this is my, this is my oldest son. I have uh, two sons right now, <laughs> and um, probably more on the way. I don't know. My, I feel like my wife's pregnant nonstop, or at least thinks we are, so that's just our reality, man. We've, we've pretty much invested our life savings into pregnancy tests. I don't know if any married people can relate to that, but that's where we're at, man. No amens? I'm the only one? Okay. Uh, anyway, my wife's in a constant state of like, I think I'm pregnant. Really? Why? I'm nauseous. Okay. I just love you so much, I want to vomit. That's why, babe. That's why. Um, this is my oldest son. I love him. And it's really interesting. When I was growing up, uh, I grew up really... I grew up nervous about one day getting married, about one day being a dad. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. If, if any high schoolers in the room, you're like, oh, man, like, like those moments when you start to think about the future and you start to think about like real life responsibility and one day raising kids, oh, like it's just so weird. I grew up really nervous about that, mainly because some of you guys know my story, and, and I grew up in a divorced home. I grew up with my mom, and a lot of my insecurities and fears around that revolved around the fact that I really didn't know how to be a dad because I didn't really know what that looked like. And so I just grew up with a lot of fears around this. And some of you who really know my story know that I had such a fear of commitment. Uh, I dated my now wife, but we dated for a long time, uh, a little over three years. And it was getting to that point in the relationship. I'm sure you guys can relate to this front row. I'm sure you guys can relate. But it was getting to that point where it was hitting that crossroads of like, you either need to marry her or define where you're going. You guys know what I, you guys there? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> no, ew. Um, marriage. Oh. And I became super nervous and I pretty much tanked the relationship. I mean, I, it was hanging on by a thread for like six months because I was, all of my insecurities came out and my wife is just the most gracious woman on the planet. And she was very patient with me and my fears as I wrestled with a lot of my baggage. But the idea of being a dad was, was terrifying to me, too. I just didn't know what that looked like or, or how to do it, really. And, and I remember when I was growing up, I would have fights with my mom. I know you guys don't do that because you're good kids and you love your parents and you're like little angels in here. I, I know you never fight with your parents in this room. But I would have fights with my mom, and I would say the most absurd things. I would say the most absurd things. I would say, like... <laughs> I would say like, mom, when I'm growing up, I would never do that, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. What a ridiculous statement. Because uh, at 16, you surely have all the life wisdom to know exactly how you'll behave at double your age, right? Like, I would never do that, mom. But when I was young, I would have these absurd arguments with my mom. And I would just say things like, I, when, I'm a, when I'm a parent, I would never do that to my kids. Just ridiculous. Can I just get a show of hands? Has anyone, look, you don't have to be embarrassed. Has anyone ever said something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, dude, yeah, we have life figured out right now. I'm telling you, man, you've got life figured out. I'm so encouraged to know you know exactly the kind of parent you'll be. But I would say things like that. Mom, when I'm a parent, I would never do that. That'll never be a rule in my home when I'm a parent. I'm going to let my kids do whatever they want. I won't even have rules. I would just say the stupidest things, man. And you know what's funny is, now that I am a dad, 
I'm like looking in the mirror. I'm like, when did I become this? Because I'm like way worse than my mom ever was. All right. Can I, I know there's like few parents in the room, but can I get an amen from some of the parents here? Like, dude, I'm, I'm worse than my parents ever were on me. And I, and I look in the mirror like, who am I? Like what happened to that cool 16 year old who had life figured out? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And, and so, but I, I, like, I vowed when I was young, I was like, I will never be a helicopter parent. Like, I will never just, like, hover over my kids and just, like, watch everything they do and super worry about it all and, and just, like, and you know what I do? I worry about everything, man. I worry about it all. Why? Because I love that kid. Man, I love him with all my, I, dude, I, I never knew how much I would love being the daddy, and I, it's, like, the best thing on the planet. It's amazing. All this, like, bogus stuff, man, you'll, you'll hear this stuff, like, hey, if you ever get married and you have kids, like, kiss your life goodbye, because now you're just, like, chained to kids. Man, don't believe that. It's, like, the best thing ever. It's the greatest adventure ever. And I just love this kid, but it, this love is, like, propelling me to be super protective of him. And I, I remember uh, one day when he was a little younger, he knew how to walk, but he was learning how to, like, jog in these, like, short spurts. You know, you never see like a toddler just go for it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of the ugliest runs you will ever see a human being do. You know, like they, they don't have a stride. It's just energy that somehow is moving in their legs and they're just like going at it. And um, he, he, my son, we, we were going on a, on a walk together one evening and it was on this gravel road um, back when we rented an apartment in Simpsonville. So like out in the country, there were these horses at the end of the road and so we would walk there every evening and so we were going on this this walk together. And he was just getting into this phase where he wanted to like sprint. And he only ever made it like six, seven steps or so. Like he would take a few steps and then and then wobble and then take a few more. Like he, he had the toddler belly, so he didn't lead with any sense of form. You know, like runners have that perfect form and posture when they run. My son is like, like he, he would like lead with this stomach. And so Every time and every time, it was, out, it was without warning. He would like take off, and I would get nervous every time. But, but it's just part of life. And so this, this one night, we're, we're walking, and he decides he wants to go for it. And um, he had these little shoes. They were dogs, like these little dogs. And when you ran, they, they squeaked. They like barked. They were the cutest things ever. <laughs> and so sure enough, he's doing his thing, and <laughs> like down this gravel road, and he trips. And I just remember the feeling in my heart at that moment. Like my, my heart literally turned inside out. Like, <gasps> my baby! Right? And my son at, at that time, he was, I don't know, like not even two yet. And so he's not thinking like brace yourself with your hands because his hands are behind him. Like he's, it's like the reverse Superman. Like I fly this way. He face plants. I mean, just full-out face plants. I mean, his toe caught the ground and just, wah, like, down. And it was a gravel road, which to me, I, it kind of made it worse. Like, there's, you know, gravel's just sharp and spiky. And he face planted. And at that point in, in his life, that was the worst fall he's ever had. And I just remember as a dad, it's like one of the few evenings I took him out alone. Like, Lauren wasn't there. And I just thought, like, oh, great dad fail. Like, awesome, my wife's not here. And she was out of town. And I picked him up. And he had this gash on his forehead, and like blood is pouring down. 
and it's like already a goose egg. I'm like, oh my gosh, you look so hideous. <laughs> right? And I just, like, I couldn't, I just knew when, when Lauren comes home, like, she's going to be like, so what happened? And I'm going to have to tell her, like, I let him run like a, like a madman, and he fell. And, and so um, I just remember in that moment, I, I, I hated it. I hated seeing him in pain. I hated the fact that I was somehow responsible. I hated the whole thing. And here's what it did to me. Are you ready? Every time that he runs now, guess what I do? Who said cringe? I do cringe, yes. Like my skin, every time I see him, like book it, I'm like, don't do it, right? Like I'm just super tensed up until he stops running. And I'm like, oh, if he ever joins track, dude, you might as well, you might as well go ahead and buy my coffin. You might as well buy my tombstone. If he ever joins a track team, I'm done for, man. Like the anxiety will kill me, I promise. But every time he runs now, I just cringe out. I lock up and I say, what? Be careful. Who am I saying that for? myself. You think in that moment, he thinks, I'm just going to do this recklessly unless someone tells me to be careful and then I'll remember to be careful. No. I'm saying be careful to try to ease my own, like my own tension and anxiety, right? Like we do this, but be, be careful, buddy. Like what? Okay, dad, cool. Like, and he's old enough now. He's almost four now. I mean, he's, he doesn't fall anymore. This morning at church, he was racing some of the girls out. I don't know where you all are at, but he wanted to beat you guys outside. And so he ran around the building. And the whole time I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, please, uh, like, <laughs> be the wind beneath his wings, <laughs> you know, like, don't let him stumble. And, uh, and anytime he runs now, I'm scarred from that one moment, and I find myself trying to protect my little boy, even though I know, dude, you can't, like, when he's, when he's 16 years old, and, and he decides to go, like, run, you, you can't be there, man. Like, that's when it gets creepy, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine the dad running with his 16-year-old? <laughs> Just be careful, buddy. I'm here with you every step of the way, man. <laughs> like, no, like, you've got to, like, I know in my mind, it's like, dude, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. But I've been scarred because I saw how hurt he got that one time, and now it's just deeply implanted in my mind. When it comes to our family, it's hard. Man, growing up, like, I loved my mom and dad. I loved my cousins. I have an older brother. Some of you guys don't know that. I have a brother, and I love him. But there's something about being a father it's just different. There's something there. And tonight's passage that we're going to look at, Jesus is talking about family. Family is at the core of who we are. For better or for worse, it's at the core of who we are. And Jesus knows that, and he decides to get to family tonight. Now, before we jump into the text, I, I've already warned you. It's a hard one. Tonight's a hard text. And I, I just want to say, like... <clears throat> I think sometimes when we approach texts like this, we really don't like what Jesus is saying, and sometimes we really don't like Jesus. And here's why. I think that most of us imagine Jesus to be or prefer him to be something like this guy right here. Let's throw that next picture up. Oh, yeah. Mr. Rogers, right? If you're not familiar with Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers is like this. When I was a child, he was big on TV. They just came out with a movie recently. Tom Hanks played him, right? I didn't see it. I heard it was great. But Mr. Rogers had like this TV show, and every week he would tell a story, and he was like the champion of this neighborhood, and the kids loved him, and he wore his classic cardigan like every single day, like just the baller that he is. And he always told this story 
or stories that taught life lessons. Just a cool dude, man, Mr. Rogers. But he was always polite, always kind, always like clean cut. Most of us in our faith in our life, I think, prefer a version of Jesus that looks something like this, if we're honest. We don't like this provocative, hard to understand, teaching difficult things that would require me to actually change my life plans or submit to that or, or sacrifice something in my own life. Like, no, I, don't, I want the Mr. Rogers Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I want the Jesus that drives a Prius and has a coexist bumper sticker on the back. That's the kind of Jesus I want. Like, some Jesus that's just like, yeah, man, everything's cool, everything's chill. Man, sprinkle a little bit of marijuana in there, you got the perfect mixture. You know what I mean? Like, it's all chill, man. Like, everything's fine. Just coexist, be happy, be peaceful, yo, word up, represent. Like, that's the kind of Jesus we want. And if you come over, I'll tell you a story, the Mr. Rogers Jesus. But Jesus isn't like that. So why has our culture made him to be that? He teaches things that draw lines in the sand, that makes you choose. He teaches things that are provocative, that, that sit down and make you stop and think and reevaluate life and priorities and perspective. He teaches things that are hard. And tonight, he teaches something. I, man, I just think tonight's passage is unbelievably hard. And as, as we listen to it, you're going to be like, Jesus taught that? Really? Like, this is Jesus. Yeah. And it's not the Mr. Rogers Jesus. It's the biblical Jesus who loves you and wants the best for you. And that means giving some hard truth sometimes. So... You guys ready to jump in with me? All right. Matthew 10, that's where we're going to be. Matthew 10, verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 34. Matthew 10, 34. If you don't have it, we have it on the screens. You guys ready? All right. These are the words of Jesus. It says this. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to earth. I mean, already it's like, well, wait a minute. What about those Christmas songs? Right? Peace on earth. And mercy mild. Thank you. <laughs> if you had left me hanging there, I'd have felt bad. Thank you. Yeah, peace on earth. Mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Jesus begins this passage. Hey, don't think I've come to bring peace. It's like, whoa, wait, what? Who are you, mister? Don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Hmm. It seems odd so far, right? Like, this is, this is Jesus? Right? Is this red letter in your Bible? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Just checking. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, married people in the house, maybe you can relate to the in-law thing. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that would make sense. In-laws are the worst, right? Not mine. Mine are the best, in case they ever listen to this podcast. Mine are the best. Bill and Debbie, I love you. They really are amazing. Did you guys know Lauren's parents' names are William and Debbie, and my parents' names are William and Debbie? <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. God ordained, you know. I've come to set daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's our passage tonight. Does that seem out of place for Jesus? It does to me. 
like based on what we usually hear in church, based on the messages we tend to hear, based on the uplifting and hopeful and, and positive messages that, that are just pervading our culture right now, not even from Jesus, but just spirituality in general, this message does not seem to land well. Jesus, I don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. Don't write that Christmas song. <laughs> oh, my bad. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to cause division. I've come to put father against son, mother against daughter. Even in-laws are not immune to me. Anyone who doesn't love me more than the family, more than his son or daughter, is not worthy of me. Anyone who doesn't take up their cross to follow me isn't worthy of me. You try to find your life, you're going to lose it. But you lose your life for my sake, and you will find it. Man, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. So let's get a couple of things out of the way, first and foremost. Jesus is not advocating violence here. That would be so contradictory to other places that he teaches. First of all, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And here he is like, hey, don't, I brought a sword. Okay, 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 homie, like, okay, like, don't quite get that, but. So he's not talking about violence. He says in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. If you remember two weeks ago, I taught about Peter cutting the dude's ear off. Malchus, you remember that passage? In John chapter 20, Peter cuts Malchus's ear off with a sword. What does Jesus do? Well, he heals Malchus. Yeah, man, you guys, you're good. But he also rebukes Peter, right? Like, hey, Peter, Peter, Peter. That ain't what we're about. Put that away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That's what Jesus says. Jesus' title is known as Prince of Peace. He's come to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm the Prince of Peace. I, I offer peace. John 14, peace I give you. My peace I leave you. Peter, put the sword away. We're not about the sword. So all of a sudden, Matthew 10, you have this passage. It's like, hey, don't, come, don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. What is Jesus talking about? First of all, you got to know this is a figurative way of speaking. It's not literal. Jesus is not advocating violence here. Jesus is not telling you that he has got a weapon and encourages you to get a weapon and create division. He's not encouraging you to go home, pick a fight with your family, and pat yourself on the back. Hey, Mom, I'm angry at you, and Jesus told me to be. He said, i got to hate you. If I really love him, so that's what I'm doing. Don't, don't, don't. I already see it right now. The next fight with the parents. Mom, you're wrong and I hate you. God bless. I'm just being obedient to the son right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus is advocating. So what does he mean? It's a figurative way of speaking. It's meant to jar your emotions. Because family is at the core. you got to understand this. In Jewish culture, the culture Jesus is addressing here, family was the central thing. It was the most important thing. It was, it was stronger even than their faith. And Jesus knew that. And he chooses to go to that extreme to provoke the emotions of his listeners. He wants you to be sitting there feeling uncomfortable, wrestling with what he's saying. That's his point. He's bringing you to one of the most powerful places you could ever be brought, the end of yourself, the end of your current understanding, 
and you're sitting there wondering, what? Like, this doesn't seem, what does he mean by that? He wants you to think right now, to be provoked in the spirit, to be asking questions. I don't understand. Because he knows that family is the most important thing. And if he knows, if he knows that and he teaches this, he's intentionally doing it to bring you to a place where, where you're at a crossroads of emotion. You're like, man, it's Jesus and I love him, but I don't love what he's saying here. So what is he saying here? I also want you to know this, that in, in Matthew's writing, Matthew's book, the first nine chapters of Matthew are Basically, Jesus performing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after, I mean, just healings, healings, power, power, miracle, miracle. And then all of a sudden, in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples to do ministry on their own without him for the first time. He's equipping them and empowering them to do ministry without him. It's no longer he that's doing miracles by himself. He's now sending out the 12. And Chapter 10 of Matthew is his pep talk to his disciples. Hey, guys, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. And in his pep, man, he said, he's like, yo, the world hates me. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. So a little morale booster there. Okay. Uh, When you guys go, man, like, just take the bare necessities. In fact, don't, don't really take any money. Like, don't take money from people. Don't take money yourselves. Just let God be your provision. Like, as you go, don't take much. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, chapter 10 is just all these instructions for his disciples. As you go out to do ministry, here's my instructions. And then 10, 34, this is what he's talking about. He tells them, like, look, people are going to get angry at you for the message you bear. You take the good news of Jesus and people won't like it. They're going to hate you. They hated me. They're going to lock you up. They're going to beat you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. This is all of his instructions in Matthew 10. And all of those lead to this idea. He says, look, don't don't think I'm here to bring peace. I'm here to bring a sword. Even families are not immune from the division that my sword brings. So it tucks into this context of instruction to his disciples. So what is Jesus talking about? If we know it's not literal and we know it's part of the instruction package to his disciples, what does he mean? Well, here's, here's, what I think, here's what I think Jesus is saying to those listening that day and, and to us today. Jesus is a peacemaker, but his message is divisive. It's the first thing I want you to know from this passage. Jesus is a peacemaker, but his message is divisive. Because not everyone who hears his message will like what they hear. Now, there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. You see, a peacekeeper is afraid to make waves. They're afraid to rock the boat. They're afraid to step on toes. They're afraid to say anything offensive at all. Our culture, let me just shout out to my own generation, millennials in the room. We are notorious (laughs) for being peacekeepers. And we set a pattern and set a trend that's like higher than it's ever been. We don't want to step on toes. We don't want to offend anyone. So we say things in ways that are never definitive. We say things in ways that are never lines in the sand because we don't want to hurt others' feelings. And so even when it comes to the concept of truth, there is no absolute truth according to my generation, which has now trickled down to your generation. In other words, 
We would never say, I mean, we do, but, but it's hard to say. We, we don't say, hey, there's only one way to heaven. Every other way is wrong. Now, I think Jesus teaches that, but that's hard to say. Why? Because it's offensive. And we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to make them feel bad. But Jesus says that. Jesus says a lot of things that create lines in the sand. And those who follow Jesus have a very, very hard time doing the same. And so we water things down, we soften them up, we blur the edges so it looks nice, but it doesn't seem as demanding. We don't like hurting people's feelings. Even now on Instagram, man, you can scroll through, and all the time you'll find images that are like blacked over, that say sensitive content ahead, like click to view. And you'll click it and it'll be like, what was sensitive about this? Like what, what, this is like someone got a paper cut and there's blood on the screen. Ah! I just wanted to warn you, man, that was blood. Like, what, are we really there as a generation? Like, everything is offensive now. And we're so afraid to say, Jesus is a peacemaker. That's different than a peacekeeper. Peacekeeper just wants, hey, man, I just go with the flow. I don't want to ruffle your feathers. Please don't ruffle mine. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let's just coexist and be happy. Peace. But Jesus knows that sometimes to make peace, not keep peace, but make peace, you actually have to ruffle some feathers first. You have to rock the boat first. But this concept is so foreign to us. To have a message that's divisive, but it ultimately leads to peace. That concept is so foreign to us, we don't know what to do with it. But you guys want to know a great example of what this is? Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks. About 60 years ago, a gentleman named Martin Luther King Jr. knew this very principle to be true. If we're going to have true peace, it has to come through racial reconciliation. So I'm going to have peaceful protests and a peaceful message. Someone once asked Martin Luther King Jr., why don't you respond to hate with hatred? Why, are you, why, do you, why do you advocate peace in the face of such hatred towards you? Because he knew if I respond to hate with hate, it will lead nowhere. To make peace sometimes requires a divisive message. Because sometimes that message is truth in the midst of a culture that hates the truth it's speaking. And Martin Luther King Jr. knew that. Racism is wrong. That's our message. But our method is peaceful. We're ultimately trying to lead to peace by uniting whites and blacks. That's a perfect example of this principle. But in our culture, we don't like that principle because we don't like to step on toes. We don't like to make you feel bad. We don't want to hurt your feelings, even in the name of truth. And so we succumb to this idea that, man, hopefully your truth is your truth and my truth is mine, and it can all be right, and in the end, it's just all a wash, and we all go somewhere nice. It's not what Jesus teaches, man. So Jesus is a peacemaker with a divisive message. You've got to understand that. That's, that's like principle one here in this passage. That's what he means. Don't think I've come to bring peace. He's not talking about eternal peace. We know that he offers eternal peace with God. He makes us right with God. He's also not talking about earthly peace because we know he offers that. In fact, Jesus reconciles relationships. Many broken families have been made whole again in the name of Jesus. Broken marriages, broken families, broken relationships, broken souls. We know he offers earthly peace. He's talking about his message. When he says sword, what he means is his words. In fact, all over scripture, sword is figurative for the word of God. And Jesus is talking about his message. My message will divide. Not everyone will like it. Even in the family. 
And as he's sending his 12 disciples out, he's equipping them to know that. You guys got to know, as you go out from here, this message will divide. It makes peace, but it's a divisive message. That's what Jesus is saying. The other thing that Jesus is saying is that the message is, the message is hard to hear, but it is good. The message of Jesus is good. It's hard to hear. He wants his disciples to know that. Now, I want to spend the last little bit on this, um, this last verse here, man. Because this one, to me, is the hardest. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You guys ever heard this verse before? You guys ever heard that? I mean, it's a really, like... I mean, it's common, it's common, it's common. But we typically talk about that verse on its own. Like, it's usually a standalone verse. Like, yeah, whoever tries to, to, to find his life, whoever tries to make his own life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life to Jesus will find it. We usually say it, but it stands alone. But, but it's tucked in the context of this difficult passage. It's tucked in the context of family. Here's what, what that verse means. It's all about control. See, a lot of us try to control our lives and the outcome of our lives, our future, our hopes, our dreams. A lot of us have this idea of life that, like, I have my plan for life, and then I have this desire to follow Jesus too, and I, I just want to combine them and mesh them, but ultimately, like, I want my life, my dreams, my, my hopes to be a reality, and hopefully Jesus, like, comes in that and blesses that. And Jesus is talking here. He's like, look. Anyone who tries to find their life, or in other words, anyone who tries to control or make their own outcome is ultimately going to lose it. Like, it, it, it's not going to result in anything eternal. You may accomplish some earthly goals and earthly objectives, but you won't accomplish anything eternal. But anyone who loses their life, or in other words, relinquishes control to me, anyone who loses their life, look at what he says, for my sake, will find it. Or, or in other words, a way of understanding that is, will find who they were always created to be, will find their purpose, will find their identity, will find what God made them to be and what God created for them to do. It's about control. It's about surrender. But it's in the context of family. It's really, really interesting. Jesus puts it in the context of family because he knows family is at the heart of every person. I began this tonight by talking about my son, and I did that intentionally because here's the deal. <laughs> if this is true, Jesus says, look, man, a uh, person's enemies will be that of his own house. Whoever loves uh, father or mother is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If that's true, and I want to be really, 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 really honest with you guys. There are times in my life when I'm not worthy of Jesus. Because that little boy I, I put up, there are times I love him more than anything in the world. I've got another son. There are times I love him more than anything in the world. You guys know, I mean, you've seen my wife. You've met my wife. She's amazing. She's real, I promise. This summer, the interns didn't didn't think I was actually married because I talked about my family and it was like all summer. You guys never even met anybody. Yeah, she is real. 
That was not an actress off Craigslist, I promise. Okay. Can you just come and pretend to be my wife for a day so these guys believe me? <laughs> Weird. There are times in my life, I guess, I'm not worthy of Jesus. Because if I'm, like, ruthlessly honest with you guys, who can uphold this standard? Whoever loves their family more than me is not worthy of me? That's like, whew, sucker punch. Who could do that? I want you guys to know, Jesus was a teacher of his day, a rabbi. No other rabbis had this expectation. This was not a common teaching of the day. This is Jesus. Like, this is God in the flesh saying, hey, I just want you all to understand, if you follow me, I got to be everything. It's not that family's unimportant. Family's immensely important. Family is at the center of the gospel. God began the narrative of, of his story with a family, okay? Like, it's incredibly important to God's heart. But Jesus is saying, it can't be more important than me. It can't be an idol. And he tucks this verse in there. Whoever tries to find his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He tucks that in in the context of family. Family was the most important thing to the Jewish audience he was listening to. It's probably the most important thing to an American audience as well. At the end of the day, most of us, man, life can crumble. People can lose jobs. Health problems exist. You're flunking out of classes or whatever. Like, your dreams are, are crumbling. You break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But at the end of the day, most of us would say, man, at least I still got my family. Even if it's a broken family like I grew up in, at least I still got my mom, my brother, my grandparents. Like, at the end of the day, for most of us, if not all of us, family is the anchor. And Jesus is saying, would you make me that anchor? No, no, Jesus, like, you're there too, man. No, 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 no. Would you make me the most important thing? No, Jesus, like, I love you. Like, you're, you're important too. Like, yeah, you're, you're a part of our family. No, 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 no. Am I more important than the family? Like, it's so interesting. Man, we walk down this road that's like, Jesus like, hey, could you give me your future? Some of us like, yeah. Jesus is like, okay, cool. Hey, could you, give me, could you give me, like, the college you go to? Would you let me kind of lead you in that? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Could you give me, like, your dating life? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. Could you give me your family? Whoa, no. <laughs> like, no. This, I think Jesus understands, is the hardest thing to surrender control of. For Jesus to look at me and say, will you love me more than your boys? You didn't know how much you'd love being a daddy, did you? Do you love me more than them? Do you love me more than your wife? There are times I, I got to be honest, I, I prioritize my family. It's one of the hardest teachings of Jesus. Anyone who tries to find their life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What, what he means there is to, to relinquish control. I mean, what Jesus is inviting his listeners to in that moment is let go of the desired control you have about your family. Matt, your son's going to run and fall. It's okay, bro. No, it's not, man. Matt, do you trust me more than, than you trust yourself to control his, the outcome of his life? Ah, oh, Jesus, come on, man. Matt, do you trust me in the day-to-day -to, -day to watch over your kids, to watch over your family, to provide for your family? 
do you trust me? Whatever circumstances come along for your family, for your wife, and for your boys, do you trust me, or are you trying to create the outcomes for your own family? Are you trying to stay in control, or will you give it to me? Jesus, man, come on, dude. Will you let those things go? Now, he's talking in the context of family. The immediate application is family. Will you love me more than your family? And look, by the grace of God, it's not by the strength of Matt. By the grace of God, this is possible. Difficult, but possible by the God's grace. This is where grace is. This is why I'm saying, man, I fail at this all the time because I love my wife. I love my boys. And there are days I prioritize them in moments or the day more than I do Jesus. I, I, I think about them more. I, I spend more intentional time with them, give myself away to them, and Jesus gets leftovers. And, and some days, if you guys can believe it, there are some days, well, that's, I, I pray for my boys every night, but there are days where I don't pray until the end of the day. Like, I'm not even going to Jesus till the end of the day. Why? Because I'm so focused on the family. The immediate application of this passage is Family. But Jesus, he's a master teacher. He's, he's creating this tension in our hearts. The immediate application is family, but the, the overall application, because family is the most important thing in the Jewish culture and often is to us as well, but the overall application is if there's anything more important than me, that's, that's like the overall big picture. So is there anything more important than Jesus in your life? He uses family as the illustration. So we can't ignore that. He's talking about family. But, but, but a bigger viewpoint is, is there anything more important than Jesus in your life? He who finds his own life, he who tries to control his own life, is going to lose that. But he who loses his life, gives up control for my sake, he'll find who he was always created to be. Is there anything more important to you than Jesus? be it family or something else. In other words, this is what he's saying. Is there a line that you wouldn't cross for Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, I'll give you my, I, man, I'll give you my future. Yeah, you can have my family too. I don't even love my family that much, right? Like some of us are there. Like if we're honest, some of us don't care about this. Like, yeah, man, I hate my family right now. Take them. Hey, but you don't get to decide who I date, Jesus. Come on now. Mm-mm. Because that boy in science class, ooh. Jesus, I, I, man, I'll give you, I, I'll give you what, I'll, I'll give you my dating relationships. That's fine, but, but, dude, you don't get to decide my future, because I got this career in mind, and I have to go to that college for that, and, and that means I'm gonna live here in the states. Now, dude, don't call me to be a missionary. I'll give you all this other stuff, but, dude, don't, don't mess up this plan. Jesus, I'll give you whatever you want. You can have my future. You can have my family. You can have, you can even choose who I date. But Jesus, you don't get to decide how we interact while we date. Like, I'll give you everything, man, but dude, don't tell me not to have sex before marriage because, man, that, we're just, we just love each other. Don't lay that rule on me. The, po the point of Jesus' teaching in this passage is to put a finger in the most important thing in your heart and say, do you love that more than me? Is there a line that you won't cross for me? And if that line exists, this is what Jesus is saying. You're not ready to follow me yet. That's why this passage is so hard. This, the bottom line idea of this passage 
that Jesus is talking about is, is about letting go of control. Anyone who tries to control their own life is going to lose it, but whoever relinquishes that control to me, whoever surrenders to me will find their life. This is what Jesus means, that letting go is not a passive selection, it's an active surrender. Now, now let me explain that, because we've all heard probably this saying, this cliche saying, like, let go and let God, Mm, amen. What does that mean? Because that comes across so passive, man, just let go and let God, brother. Like, just let it go, okay? It's, it, it, it's so passive. That, that removes your emotions, and that removes responsibility just to, to have this posture of like, yeah, I don't even care. Like, I, I don't have a hold on anything in my life. Jesus is going to take care of everything. He'll provide everything. He's going to take care of everything. He's going to lead me everywhere. I don't even have anything. Like, dude, no. Like, there's responsibility on your part. There's emotions. It's hard sometimes to let go. It, it's just not this passive selection. Like, yeah, let go of that, let go of that, let go of that, let go of that. Like, it's just not passive. It's an active surrender. Sometimes it's hard. That's why it's, it's active. That's why it's surrender. It means you position your hands open. It's like, dude, I give it up. I, I, I raise my hands up. I surrender that. Like, man, it's yours. That's not easy sometimes. It's not easy when it comes to the family. Jesus knows that. It's not easy when it comes to your future. Jesus knows that. It's not easy when it comes to the day-to-day. Jesus knows that. It's not easy when it comes to your secrets and your addictions and the things you do when no one's watching. Jesus knows that. And that's why this is a hard teaching. That's why this puzzle piece is often blank, because we like Mr. Rogers Jesus. Man, just tell us a story. Make us feel good, dude. Don't ask us to, like, surrender everything. Because, Jesus, I want you, but I also want control. And Jesus is saying here, it's not about passive selection. It's about active surrender. Do you love Jesus enough to surrender everything? Control over everything. Control over your dating life. Control over your future and colleges. Control over your American dream. Control over your family. And I'm confessing, man, I struggle with that last one. It's my family. And Jesus is like, I know, but I can take way better care of them than you ever could. You trust me on that. It's like, I mean, I do, but I, oh, man. Is there a line that you will not cross for Jesus? If that exists, then Jesus is inviting you into the conversation to wrestle, to wrestle with that. Because what he asks is full surrender. Anyone who tries to control their own life is going to lose it. They can't do a good job. But anyone who loses their life for my sake, this is his promise. You will discover who you were always created to be. You'll discover just how good I can take care of your family. You'll discover just how, how much purpose I can give you. You'll discover the identity you've been longing for and the security you're so desperately trying to find through all these other things. You will discover joy beyond your wildest dreams. You will discover life. Jesus invites us into a leap of faith to trust that his words are true. To deny my self-will and to submit to the will of God to give him everything, even my family. Even that little boy I showed you earlier. He's inviting you into the same thing. Is there a line you won't cross? 
Will you submit it all to Jesus? Will you surrender? Let's pray. Jesus, your word is hard. Uh, And you're not Mr. Rogers. And you don't leave us just feeling super happy and encouraged and bubbly every time. A lot of times, but not every time. Some of the things you teach are just really, really difficult and provocative and hard and convicting, at least in my heart. Because I have a hard time letting go of everything. I have a hard time letting go of control, of thinking that you will do a better job than I could. Especially when it comes to the things dearest to me, my family. But Jesus, control is an illusion and I'm not in it. And you are. And I pray that everyone in this room would come to that same conclusion. That you're good. Your plan and your purpose is far better than we could ever create or control. And that a life surrender to you is the best life possible. It's not easy to do that. But your promise is that when we give our lives to you and we give them away to you, then we'll truly find who we were always created to be, the life we were always meant to have. So help us, Jesus, surrender. And we thank you for your word, even the hard teachings in your word. We thank you for those two, because they invite us into a deeper presence. We love you, and we pray these things in your name.